0: My, my best guess is is we're really going to be praying for those who, who would have uh, the gift of window washing, the spiritual gift, uh, uh, in the days and months and years ahead. So if you have that gift, uh, let me know. Uh, but yes, we're glad to, to see those windows in and, and grateful to see that. Uh, uh, I would just say next week as we get ready for Easter, I know that uh, so many of you are concerned about those who aren 't a part of our church yet, and Easter is like no other sunday it 's still one of those Sundays when people who really have no experience or really very little history with the church uh, come out and, 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 and almost by tradition, but they can are, feel connected to come on a Sunday. Easter is a is a beautiful uh, connection point. And so uh, to make it as easy as possible, given all that we have with the construction and all the, the difficulties in our parking situation right now, I just encourage those of you who would be willing, come a little early make sure, or, and those of you who can, just park over in Moen, and we'll make sure that we have enough shuttles coming back and forth. We'll pray that the weather is going to cooperate as well, but that really can make a difference, and it leaves a little more room for those who maybe aren't quite as uh, connected to our to our church to, to feel a little less intimidated about getting in here. It won't be easy next week uh, in regards to that, because uh, this still isn't quite there yet, but we are, we are on our way. And uh, if, if you are thinking in those terms, uh, I'd sure, sure, very, very much appreciate it. So let me invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. I want to begin with verse uh, 14. Just take a very short passage this morning, reflect on it as we prepare to come to the table. Luke chapter 22, and I want to begin with verse 14. I'll invite you to stand with me We've been looking at Luke in a very short uh, way at some of the uh, individuals that have encountered Jesus. I want us to think about uh, an individual this morning. Luke 22, verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. In preparation uh, for this morning's message, I decided to just sit down and, in one sitting, read through Luke's entire account of the Passion Week. One of the things that struck me in that reading was how Jesus, knowing that he soon would be betrayed, chose to focus his attention on the fact that his followers would be betrayed too. When Jesus was describing the days of judgment to come, he looks at his followers and he says these words in Luke 21. He says, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus was saying to them, there may be a day when you will be betrayed, when in fact the people you love the most are going to hurt you because of your relationship with me. But nevertheless, if you would stay strong, you're going to live. If you endure, you will gain real life. But the emphasis that Jesus was making was not on those who betray, but in fact that following him will be a very difficult thing to do. There was coming a time when following Jesus will put your most intimate relationships to the test. In other words, to put it simply, following Jesus is hard. I notice as Jesus was entering Jerusalem in his triumphal entry, Luke chooses to report that event this way. In chapter 19, he says... As soon as Jesus was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some in the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So those who were crying out, those who were singing, those who were shouting, this wasn't just any crowd. Luke tells us that they were a crowd of disciples. Well, that's interesting. They were followers of Jesus. At some level, they had committed themselves to following Christ. They were people like most of us in this room. They were shouting and singing and praising God because of Jesus. But of course the question arises, what happened to them during the week? Where did they go? What did they think? What did they do? Where were they when it came to the trial and the crucifixion? Where were they when it came to the cross? Because it's just a week later when a crowd shouts, crucify him. Crucify him. You see, when we come to the story, we think we know the betrayer of the story. In our minds, we instantly think of Judas. We see the image of a person with a strange disposition, a sinister smile, a checkered past, a scowling smirk. Judas was a follower of Jesus, he was one of the twelve. Here is a man who walked with Jesus, had a front row seat to the miracles, and heard the teachings of the kingdom of heaven. Judas had left his family, he had left his career, and followed in the footsteps of this Jewish rabbi. He had experienced a closer relationship to Jesus than nearly any person who has ever lived. But Judas betrayed Jesus outright. There are no shades of gray about it. Judas's act of betrayal, you may remember, came at the expense of 30 pieces of silver. That was the agreement. And so he he would find a place where Jesus was alone, and they could come, and the authorities could arrest him. You remember the story. But this wasn't a surprise to Jesus. At the Last Supper, according to Luke, Jesus said, but behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. Of course, Jesus was right, and we know Judas was at the table. He gave up Christ so he could have a castle. He betrayed the master so he could go to Malibu. And of course, we think, how foolish. He sold Jesus out. He had determined that following Jesus didn't offer that much, and he wanted more. And I want to say to you this morning, there are people right here who will not be here next year because they will decide that following Jesus costs too much or doesn't pay well enough. And so despite the fact that Jesus offers a life-giving relationship with God, they're going to walk away and say, I want something else. I, I, I think I want something more. And of course, the lesson is easy. The lesson is clear. Listen, my friends, you can come to this table, and your heart can be dark, and you still betray him. You can decide, he's just not enough. But listen, I don't think that Judas is the only betrayer in this story. Remember Simon Peter, he was a leader of the disciples, One of the things we know about Simon Peter is he made the great confession of faith. He had declared, he had discovered the secret that Jesus was the Messiah and he indeed was the Son of God. He declared it boldly. Simon Peter insisted, you remember, that he would follow Jesus to the end. He said, I will die with you. I promise I won't leave you, Peter says. Luke tells us that Simon took out his sword in Gethsemane He caused a violent commotion, even cut off someone's ear. But after Jesus had been arrested, Luke 23, verse 54 tells us that Peter followed him at a distance. And you remember, as he sat in the courtyard, his courage turns to mush. In the courtyard, he's asked three different times about Jesus. Three times each time. He's more adamant than the last time. He doesn't know the man. In fact, if you read the the passage, and you need to understand this, Peter even swears to make the point. He curses. He says, I don't know the man. Leave me alone. And the cock crowed. So let's be honest. Peter betrays him too. His hand was at the table. Anytime we don't act like we know him, Young people in school, when other students are doing things that you know are not right or saying things, but you go along just to get along instead of, instead of living out your conviction about who you are in Christ, or we act like we don't know him when it comes to our marriage. We say we're a Christian, we say we follow Jesus, but you could never tell in the way we love and are committed to our spouse. Maybe we're a businessman and we find it very easy to cheat. Maybe we're in relationships and we find it very easy to lie. Perhaps we're afraid. Perhaps we feel trapped. But the end result is we did what we, never, what we promised we would never do. Instead of telling people we know him and love him by our words and our actions, we give no evidence that he is a part of our lives. And again, I guess the lesson is clear. You know, you can come to this table And even make promises and still betray him. So you have Judas. He wanted more. You have Peter who made promises he didn't keep. And both men were at the table. But of course there were others at the table that night. They were the disciples They weren't the only ones who earlier were shouting Hosanna earlier in the week. Ten other disciples broke the bread and shared the cup. When the authorities came, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, when the trial was going on, when Jesus was being beaten, when the cross was being carried, when Jesus was being crucified, where were they? Well, Matthew reports on that night After the supper they sang a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So when Jesus was taken captive, the rest of the disciples suddenly found out that their world around them had collapsed. They loved Jesus. They followed him. In fact, just a few hours earlier, they were arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's the greatest among us when Jesus takes control? And yet, when they face that moment of realization that this kingdom wasn't what they thought it was, they face this disappointment with Jesus, and they turned and they ran. Now, let me ask you, have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever been angry with him? You walked with God for a long time and you thought, okay, I've kept my end of the bargain. Now, God, it's your turn. I'm counting on you to do. This is is how it's done. And of course, that works pretty well as long as God seems to do what we expected him to do. But the moment he doesn't conform to our expectations, our world is rattled child is born with a disability. A person you love abandons you for another. A friend dies before her time. The expectations you placed on God for men into distrust, into disappointment. I loved what Anne Lamott says. I think this is so wise. She said, expectations are resentments under construction. Expectations are resentments under construction. Stephen Davidowitz uh, sifted through a decade worth of Google searches and found that the most Googled questions about God include these. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God need so much praise? Why does God hate me? Why did God make me ugly? Why did God make me gay? Why doesn't God fix my husband? The thread is pretty clear. Disappointment with God. You you thought for sure you knew how God was going to work things out. And they didn't. And, of course, in that moment, the great temptation is is to turn and run from him. And some of you have. Because the lesson is clear. You can come to this table with hopes and aspirations and still betray him. And so, when, when I think about this table, I realize something. Judas was there. Peter was there. The disciples were there. And the argument can be made that every one of them betrayed Christ. And the more I thought about it, I realized something about this table. And it's the most amazing thing. You'd think a betrayer isn't welcome here. It turns out the betrayers are the only ones who are welcome. This table isn't meant for those who think they have it all together. This table isn't meant for the person who thinks that they've done everything right and they deserve to be here. No, this table is for people who have been broken themselves and done some horrible things. This table is for the confused who had hopes in God and what He was going to do, and today you're disappointed and maybe numb. This table is for the person who, time and time and time again, has failed to live up to the promises they've made. But they come because they know without Jesus they are lost. This table is for the person who sold out to the world and nobody thinks that you belong with Jesus except Jesus. Jesus says, I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know the sins you've committed. Come to the table. Because of your brokenness, I'll be broken. Because of your sin, I'll be poured out. Because of your betrayal, I will die. And I will do so willingly because this table represents forgiveness and mercy and grace and a relationship with me. I want to give you myself. You see, Jesus' tragedy was not just that he betrayed Jesus. You'll remember he took the silver... And you remember, he threw it back at them. He realized that the silver wasn't enough. And then you remember what he did. He went out and he hung himself on a tree. He didn't let Jesus die for him. He tried to do it himself. Listen, Judas's tragedy was, that he never, was was that he never came back to the table. He never imagined that God could forgive him. We, we have Peter with all his mistakes, with all his failures, but he took the risk of letting God love him in spite of all that he had done. Luke goes on to report in chapter 22. Jesus says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying we're coming back to this table. Keep coming back to this table. You'll be back here again. You get another chance. In verse 32, he says to Simon specifically, "But I have for you, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail." And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Simon, when you turn around, when you repent, when you come back to this table, you see, this table is for betrayers who know who they are and are willing to say to Jesus, I need grace. I need your grace. And so all betrayers, You're invited to this table. Will you pray with me? Father, right now, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and help us, Lord, in this moment to recollect those things that shame us, disappoint us, discourage us, that even, Lord, abhor us about ourselves, perhaps. And yet, Lord, you invite us to this table. You were broken because we were broken. You died because we were on our way to death. You forgive us our sins, Lord, because you paid the penalty of our sins on the cross. And so, Father... Through the grace and mercy of Christ, we can be free and restored. Thank you, Lord, for what this table represents. It represents to us life, hope, freedom. Lord, all of us have betrayed you. But this morning, we see in a fresh way the amazing grace that you offer us. And as we take this bread and as we take this cup, we thank you, Lord, and we give you praise that we are yours. Teach us more about yourself. Help us to grow in this grace. And may we, Lord, be found one day in the kingdom of heaven itself, singing your praises, celebrating the accomplishment of what you've done. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.